Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the You Should Run podcast. I'm your host, Tony Heil, council member in Bridgeport, Pennsylvania, which is in the best county in Pennsylvania, Montgomery County. My guest today might disagree. Uh, we have, if you've listened to the podcast in the past, which I hope you have, uh, you know that I've talked to people from every state, including D.C., and that includes a recent podcast from Alaska and then all the way down to Palm Beach County in Florida. But of course, the state where I get the most guests from and care the most about is my home state, uh, my home commonwealth of Pennsylvania. And I'm going to talk to someone today that I've been really excited to talk to for a long time, actually, because um, she's a young elected official like I am or was, because now I'm old. Um, She's been very involved with Run for Something, encouraging other people to run. And she's focused on issues I think impact um, people that don't get enough attention in politics, like uh, education, student loan reform, and things like that for younger people who often don't have a voice. Her name is Jen O'Mara from Delaware County, and we're going to have a good conversation today. So, Jen, thanks for uh, talking today. Of course. Thank you so much for having me, Tony. And I do have to say Delco is obviously number one, but we can agree to disagree on that one. You know, I so one thing I think about when I think about Monco actually, and I've talked with a bunch of people from Monco here is it's interesting the way that Pennsylvania is because in 1990 or whenever it was when Bob Casey Sr. ran for governor, I don't know if it was the first time or second time I was, you know, I was 10, you were, uh, I don't know, a month and a half. Um, and he won every county as a Democrat except for Montgomery County. And now it would be almost the opposite, where like if a, a bad Democrat ran, he they would win Philadelphia, Allegheny, and Montgomery County. Like where it's such a Democratic county. Uh, I'm sure. Have you noticed before we start? Have you noticed like in your own lifetime involvement in politics that there's a pretty quick change around here? Oh yeah, definitely. And Delaware County is probably now one of the counties that a Democrat would win. But it wasn't that case when I was a teenager growing up in Delco. For years and years and years, for centuries actually, Delaware County has been a Republican stronghold. And in 2017, that started to change when we took two of the five county council seats and we won a couple other countywide races. In 2018, we've really flipped the state delegation and now we have... Um, all but two of the state house members from Delaware County are Democrats. And in 2019, we won full control of Delaware County Council, first time ever since the Civil War. So, and in the last election, Joe Biden, I think he won Pennsylvania by 80,000 votes. He won Delaware County by 88,000 votes. So we're taking credit, obviously, but it really has been really, um, it's been really a cool experience to be a part of a county that is changing so dramatically and to be one of the reasons, albeit a small one, um, albeit a small one, about why we are changing into a Democratic county here in Delco. My district is still majority Republican district, but even the numbers in my district have changed significantly since the first time I ran for office. Well, I I mean, no one... A lot of people in politics don't like to take credit, I guess, which is weird. But like I talk, I've talked to so many people here who have run for office, especially state house, and it seems like as run for something is talked about, and we both like that organization. Um, there's a lot more reverse coattails than the other way around. Like having a lot of people run for office in Delco um, impacts who comes out to vote more than probably um, maybe presidential is different, but more than the senator governor's race. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I ran for the first time in a midterm in 2018, and we had record number of voters that came out to vote. And 
it wasn't a presidential year, obviously, but what I did and I, other reps mimicked this work in Delco and Chester County, which is having similar trends. We knocked on thousands and thousands of doors and we ran a very grassroots driven campaign and I targeted it intentionally targeted voters who don't normally vote in midterm elections. I knew super voters would be coming out. They always do. But I wanted to talk to those folks who maybe only vote every four years or maybe don't even do that consistently. And we saw the results at the polls in 2018. And then in 2020, I know a lot of people came out to vote for the presidential race, but we had near a hundred percent turnout in my district for voting for the number of people who are registered to vote. That's amazing. And I do believe having engaged races at every level on the ballot, it, it excites voters. And even if they may not want to be voting for me, they may have been out to vote for my opponent, but we did that groundwork and we turned out the vote, which is an exciting thing. I always love getting people to participate in democracy. Even if they don't agree with me, I want them to participate and to use their voice. Which brings me to a question I always ask. Do you remember, like, when you first started caring about participating in democracy? Like, um, everyone's kind of got their origin story. We talked about Marvel, like, you know, whether it was finding an Infinity Stone or something. But um, is, has your family always cared about politics? Is it just, like, always talked about at Delco? Or is there something where, like, a campaign kind of got you energized? Yeah, that's a good question. So... My dad was a union member in the Philadelphia Fire Department, so mm -hmm. he always cared about elections. I remember watching presidential debates with my dad when I was young and didn't understand what Democrats and Republicans were. Um, as My dad passed away when I was young, and my mom was not very engaged in politics, and I know she voted before, but when I turned 18, that was around... 2008 when Barack Obama was running for office and I was so inspired by Barack Obama I stood in lines for hours at Westchester University to see him when he came to do an episode of Hardball and I remember voting in that election and asking my mom about where she was going to vote and she's like I'm not registered to vote and I registered us together and we voted in that election together I then became um I was an independent after that I registered independent I was, I thought I'd hear from more candidates, which may be true, maybe not. And I started voting, not every single election, but I tried to always make sure I participated. I used to say, unless I know the candidates, I didn't want to vote, but now I, I do the work and get to know the candidates. Mm -hmm. So I'm always out there voting. Then I got very engaged again um, in 2014, actually, during that governor's race, because Brock got people to come out in 2008. In 2010, that didn't happen, and Tom Corbett got elected as governor in Pennsylvania. And say what you will about Governor Corbett, he slashed public education funding. And I felt that at Westchester University, which was a public school. Teachers got laid off, programs got cut, and I felt like my own responsibility now had to be paying attention to every single election, not just presidential ones. So the 2014 governor race really got me reinvigorated as well, um, because that was that, that next chance. After, you know, 2012, we had presidential, but in 2014, we had Governor Wolf. And then now I feel like there's never an off-year election. I call them odd-year elections, mm -hmm. because every single election matters. Your local candidates often make 
bigger impacts on your lot on your life like your school board candidates your municipal electeds your judges in county and local magisterial district judges and so i work very hard to make sure i'm involved in every election that is taking place whether i'm on the ballot or not because i think all these elections have consequences as we see and i think it's really important that people i'm 31 now but when i got elected i was 28 and my goal was to get people under the age of 30 out voting because we could be the largest voting block and we often are not because we're not participating and i don't know why that is i think it's starting to shift a little bit but i think it's really important that we empower people to come out and vote now not only should young people be coming out to vote but young people probably need to be coming out to run for office too uh I've talked with a lot of people in office. I just talked to someone from Florida, Alexander Ayala, who is a school board member in uh, Palm Beach County, Florida. And you can imagine the challenges there with education right now. So very similar um, inspiration for her to run about the same age. Um, but there's not, a, there's, there's not a lot of representation of young voices in the halls of government. And I'm sure you see that very well in Harrisburg. Oh, yes. Um, there are not enough young people. And you can tell by the issues that are being talked about. That's right. And, <coughs> excuse me, the lack of understanding around issues that deal with young people. And I'm involved with an organization, and the name of it is escaping me right now, but I remember they focus on people 35 and under. Oh, it's the, the not the AARP, but the AAYP, and it's focused mm -hmm. on young professionals. And they said, no one under the age of 35, we don't have lobbyists representing our issues. There aren't a ton of lobbyists out there talking about student debt. There are more now, but there aren't a ton of lobbyists out there talking about climate change or affording a house as a millennial or uh, the generation behind us. And that has to change. And the only way it's going to change is if younger people get elected. And in Harrisburg... I think there were more younger men running than younger women because um, I don't know why that happens, but I really try and focus on showing young women that this world can be theirs as well. And I could tell that they weren't used to having young women in Harrisburg because in my entire first year of my first term, I was often asked whose secretary or intern mm -hmm. I was. I was stopped once going onto the floor on my very first time on the floor and asked that question. Up until a year in, I was being asked that question. And it bugs me to think that people are so used to seeing young women in those roles that they didn't even think that I could be an elected official. So I try and talk to young women of all ages. And I, I want young men to run for office too, don't get me wrong. But I really try and talk to young women to let them know you don't have to wait until you're a certain age. You don't have to wait until you're far enough in your career that you feel like you're established. You don't have to wait until you're already a mom or already married. You can run as soon as you're willing to. And frankly, we need you to. Well, you know, you talk about um, having to encourage people. It seems like with men, you know, you don't need a lot of encouragement. I didn't need a lot of encouragement to run. Granted, it was local office, but, you know, we have a, a great woman, Beth, who's running for mayor here in Bridgeport, and you didn't take a lot of encouragement. The first time, we had to be like, you got, you'd be running for office, you'd be great, and it, there is a process now where I think we need to do more encouragement, because a lot of women don't see themselves in power. Yeah, absolutely. That's what was so exciting about seeing Kamala Harris become mm -hmm. the vice president. We finally saw someone who looked like us at the table.
But there is research that shows a woman needs to be asked to run on average seven times before they will agree to do it. And in my situation, I did not think I was going to run. I did not think I was ready. It was my husband who was relentlessly hounding me that I should run for office for about three months before I finally decided. And we still talk about it today. If we go out canvassing together, which often does happen, he'll come with me. People will look right past me and look at him and say, why are, why is she running and not you? Mm -hmm. And he gets mad and I have to tell him like, don't get angry at people. It's just their, their common idea of an elected official is a man. And so I do think it's changing in 2018. We saw a record number of women get elected in the house in Pennsylvania and in the Senate in 2020, they say we now have the most women that have ever served in elected office in Harrisburg serving. But to put it in context for folks, this is a statistic I just recently learned in March when we were focusing on Women's History Month. We learned that in Pennsylvania, there have been about 15,000 men that have served in the General Assembly, given that we go back to the 1680s when we were, you know, when our government was Mm -hmm. founded and women weren't even able to vote, yet alone run for office until the 1920s, 1922, I think is the first election where women ran and got elected. We have had only about 250 women serve in the General Assembly in comparison to that 15,000 number. So we're making great strides, but we still have such great strides to make. And my goal is to see gender parity in elected office in the General Assembly reflect the gender parity that we see in our population. So we have about a little over 50% of the Pennsylvania population as women. I want to see us get to 50% women serving in, in office to really feel like we've made it and that we've we've done what we've set out to do. Well, in my research, I found that only one state has had a majority female legislature, and that's in Nevada. And that's still relatively new. So, you know, from conservative states like Alabama to very liberal states like Massachusetts and um, Connecticut, yeah, they're making strides, but one out of 50 states, and that's very recent in the last five years or so has had a, mm-hmm. like that's that just shows the the wide disparity what kind of changes do you think would happen if we had both you know a, a wider a, a greater number of young people who are in positions of power and women not just about how they would vote but what would be brought to the table i think the issues that we would be voting on would be vastly different i think if young people especially we would see more of a focus on environmental mm-hmm. justice we would see more of a focus on uh, family planning on childcare, on helping first-time home buyers, um, and I think we would see more of a focus on broadband. Frankly, because mm-hmm. younger people really understand how the internet connects us for school, for work, for every part of our lives. I think if more women were at the table, we would also see a change in the conversation, and it's already started. Um, we're now talking about, I've introduced legislation focused on uh, making sure insurances cover fertility treatment. Mm-hmm. We are talking about mother um, mater- um, mortality rates among women among when they're giving birth. We are talking about period equity and mm-hmm. making sure that we put items that women can use when they're menstruating in public bathrooms. Mm-hmm. We now have those items in the house floor, and that only started in 2019 when I asked the chief clerk about it. 
Um, and I think we we're starting to see a conversation about early childhood education and childcare and <clears throat> um, focusing on gender equity in pay, right? We still don't have equal pay in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. So these things are being talked about, but they're new. And I hear from women who have been in office for, you know, longer than I have, some 10, 12 years, and they say, oh, before we, you know, when I first got elected, we never talked about these things. Now we're having press conferences about it. This is amazing. So we, we're, we are making strides, but we do still have a long way to go. And in Pennsylvania, not only do we have more women, but I know we have added so many young people that we've lowered the average age of the General Assembly by a decade or so, mm-hmm. which is good. But we still we still have a long way to go. And there are still a lot of members who, frankly, I do like, but they've been serving longer than I've been alive. Yeah. And I think that says something about the need for change in our in our General Assembly. Well, and you know, I have two kids. They're, my youngest is finally finishing daycare uh, soon. And I think that people who are in office at all levels of government, they don't understand the cost of daycare. It costs tens of thousands of dollars for an affordable daycare. And I, like you said, I don't think people who are in politics who don't have that realize what that's like. Yeah. I mean, I know I have colleagues who have young kids and they pay for daycare. So they, they feel it. Mm -hmm. They also struggle with going to all these work events, trying to figure out who's going to take care of their kids. But sometimes childcare is as much as a mortgage payment. That's not sustainable for so many families. So when we're having this, during COVID, I think it really highlighted that as two parents suddenly had to be working and caring for their kids because they were doing virtual school. And now I know I hear some, unfortunately, women, because they were greater um, affected by Mm -hmm. losing their jobs during COVID. We know that based on data. But they're saying... Why am I going to go back to work when I'm barely making enough money to afford childcare? Yeah. And do you think it's just until you live the issue, um, you're not going to, you're not going to understand it. So we know some of those issues that would be brought up if more women were in office. And now thankfully in Pennsylvania, also there are more women in leadership in both parties. And I think that is um, inspiring. One thing you did talk about um, that I wanted to get back to is when you were young and your dad was caring about politics you didn't know what a Democrat or Republican were, but it seems like in politics, and you may see this directly, what a Democrat and Republican is today isn't exactly what it was like when your dad was very active, right? Like, things are changing in ways that are so rapid, even amongst the members themselves, that it's hard to wrap your head around. Yeah, totally. I I often wonder, my dad's been gone since 2003, but I don't know if he would still be a registered Republican, because Mm -hmm. I don't know if the party now reflects the issues that he cared about. Um, but some things haven't changed. And I, I will tell you, I remember when I decided I was going to be a Democrat. I was maybe 11 or 12. And we were watching a presidential debate. And one candidate very clearly talked about women's issues and supporting women to make their choice in healthcare. And I knew who my dad was. And I asked him which candidate he liked. And when he did not name that candidate... I knew that I'd be a Democrat. And I <laughs> I just realized like that was the issue that, that made me pick the side that I'm on. Uh, one thing that I do think has happened, though, that I think is sad and disappointing is re- 
Republicans and Democrats used to do a better job working together. Like, yeah, you may not agree on X, Y, and Z, but, you know, on A through F, you get along and you want to work on those issues, too. Now, it's almost like we're told, not that we're told, but what we see is an unwillingness to compromise, an unwillingness to work together, an unwillingness to recognize that we all may want the same things, we're just going about it in a different way, or we're using different values to get there. And that's something that I would like to see changed, and I do actively work in Harrisburg to try to work in a more bipartisan way, because my district is pretty close in the makeup, so that not only is that bipartisanship reflective of my district, but I also think we are only hurting our constituents by not doing more to work together. And I think we used to do a better job than we than we are doing now. Well, I saw one way that you recently um, compromised, I guess, and or found some bipartisan agreement was on the state budget. The budget's always the most important thing that happens. Um, you know, you never get unit everyone on board, though Ohio kind of did. Um, and so, you know, a lot of Democrats don't want to vote for it because it's going to fund some things they don't like, um, or Republicans trying to throw things. But you were actually able to accomplish something in the budget, right? That was very important yeah. to Delaware County. Yeah. So I voted yes this budget. This I think was the first time I voted yes on parts of the budget in my last term, but usually on the general appropriation part, the actual spending plan, I have voted no because I disagreed with too many of it, too many of the mm -hmm. parts. In this budget, I tried really hard to look at how it would impact my constituents. And while we weren't getting the education increase I wanted to see by any means, we were getting $300 million more into our public ed system. Um, we were getting level up funding, which would help schools in Delaware County. We also got a $1.3 million appropriation to start the Delaware County Health Department, which is something that we have been talking about doing in Delaware County for the last five years. We're the largest county in the entire country without a health department. And during COVID, we really saw how it was hurting our community to not have a health department. We were able to get a partnership with Chester County and they oversaw the care for our county, which made it better. And I think it also highlighted to folks why having our own health department is so important. And so we asked for 1.7 million. We got 1.3 for six months. I thought that was a really good number. You never get what you fully ask for, but it was really, really close. And to me, that that was one of the primary reasons that I voted yes on the budget. We also saw some other funding things I liked, like we did a little bit more into infrastructure. Um, we did a little bit more into veteran senior home, senior citizen homes that the state runs, which we know we, dis we needed that desperately mm -hmm. after what we saw happen with COVID. So while it wasn't you know, the budget that I would have written, right. it was a big improvement and we did get some of the things we were asking for. We still have to fight for the things that were not included. And I did not want my yes vote to signal to my colleagues on the other side of the aisle that we have, you know, we're, we're done and we're washing our hands now and we don't have to make other improvements. We still do. And I will still be very focused on that. But when it came down to the decisions I was trying to make based on what how it would impact my county, I felt like this was a good compromise. Hey, I've talked to a lot of people who are in office, and I think people forget that people in office are people. I mean, using the word people a lot, but um, it it's really cool as a human being living in a county like that, that you can go back home and say, yep, I was able to get this big thing 
that maybe yeah. in 10 years, maybe maybe tomorrow, people won't recognize I did it, but at the very least, if I have, if you have to not be in office tomorrow for some reason, hopefully because you got a big job somewhere else, not because any bad, <laughs> but you would have, you would be able to hang a hat on that forever. Yeah, totally. And, you know, one of the things I do think about when I vote, because I don't vote strictly along party lines, mm -hmm. I vote my district. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important that elected officials need to vote the the issues and the wants and desires of their community. I always try to think if I'm having a town hall, which I do in-person town halls and we're going to be doing them again, starting at the end of the summer and into the fall in all of my municipalities. If I'm asked about a vote, how am I going to answer my community in a way that I can live with myself and really believe that the decision I made was the best decision for my community. Mm -hmm. And so that's the question I ask myself whenever I'm voting on legislation. And I know it sometimes frustrates other members of my party because um, they think I should be voting a certain way. And even sometimes I'm voting in a way that I may personally not agree because I know where my values are and what my belief is in our political system. But I do believe I need to represent the people who sent me here and who continue to send me here because I work for them. So I, that is really the, the motto I live by when I'm making decisions about how I'm going to vote. And I heard that same thing recently when I talked to Jesse Keel. He's a, he's a state senator from the Q District in Alaska, which I thought was kind of scary. But, um, you know, it's a big deal in Alaska where they're very, very independent. But one thing I worry about with politics, uh, especially here in PA, because you think about who to vote for. And... Uh, I feel like a lot of people necessarily aren't necessarily voting for their reps in terms of for their district. So that, from a voter perspective. And so the Republican who might represent a Delaware County seat or a Montgomery County seat is going to be a more moderate Republican. And a Democrat in another Republican kind of seat is going to be a more moderate Democrat. But there's no good reason to vote for the candidate necessarily who is going to represent the district if it's going to go against your party. So kind of those independent minded people are the ones that are most at risk of losing. So the parties themselves, especially in this case, the Republican party becomes more extreme because they're not the people who would have been that independent voice aren't going to, they're in the competitive seats to lose. Yeah. And you know, I, I do think you make a point, but what I have noticed in my own elections is I would not be getting elected without Republicans voting for me. Right. It's just no ifs, ands, or buts about that. And I've talked to a lot of Republicans. When I knock doors, I knock all doors. I don't mm -hmm. just knock on Democratic doors. And I call people and wish them a happy birthday every mm -hmm. day in my district. And I don't know what your party is when I'm calling you, but sometimes people self-identify. Um, people trust me to make decisions that is in the best interest of our community. And I've had to work to establish that trust with my own record of work and my own record of voting. But I think if I went to Harrisburg, if I got elected in the district I'm in, and I always say I'm a progressive that represents a moderate district. Mm -hmm. If I went to Harrisburg and I voted strictly along party lines every single vote, then those constituents would no longer trust me. And so I think it's really important that I continue to do the work that I do and I continue to go about it in the way that I do if I want those people to still trust that I have their best interests at heart. Yeah, and I worry about, there's a few Republicans in Harrisburg, there's a lot of people I like in both parties on a personal level, I'm like, well, that might person, because I like them, they might 
be in a tougher election than the person I don't like. The person I don't like is going to win. He lives in this county, and that's frustrating. It is, and it's also frustrating for me as someone who is willing to work across the aisle and willing to uh, work to get things done. I say to the moderates on both sides and, and the people who are in moderate districts, like, if we just worked together and didn't worry about what our leadership was saying, we could run the show. Mm-hmm. We could decide what votes, what bills pass and what bills fail, and we could really make big change for Pennsylvania. But right now, what we're seeing happen is people are worried about getting primaried from someone on the far right or the far left. And they may, you know, have a harder time winning in a primary like that, but we know they'd be the best person to win in the general. And so it's, it really is, I see a lot of members right now, they tend to be members on the other side of the aisle who are really wringing their hands when they're making voting decisions. Cause you can tell they may not agree with the vote, but they're voting because they're scared of the primary and they're scared of the impact that it would really have on our government if that extremist person gets through the primary and then ends up holding that seat in Harrisburg. Because most people in Pennsylvania, I mean, granted, yes, there are people who are very extreme, but most people in Pennsylvania tend to be more in the middle. That's why Pennsylvania is such a swing state at the national level. Yeah. Um, and I think it's important that we don't let either party run to that extreme side or else we're really not going to be voting, the ma- we're not going to be representing the majority will of the people who live in our commonwealth that's what i like about the the democratic ed, like persona in the suburbs here in the, the county is that yeah they're progressive people i'm progressive like you said but um it does feel more pragmatic than anything else in monco yeah. especially and i guess delco to second descent them. but uh so even bucks county chester county like i think the pragmatic members are often the ones that are really thinking about how is this really going to help or hurt people. Mm-hmm. Where some of the other members are just thinking, like, how am I going to win for my political party right now? And that should really never be the thing motivating you. But sadly, it is motivating way too many elected officials in that regard. Yeah, I, there's a Republican in Bucks County who was in Harrisburg, who's now a county commissioner, and I pointed out something on, on one of my meetings. He wrote a letter of recommendation for police officers. Like, I don't know if you know this guy, but he's really good. But that's why he's a county commissioner, and he's going to win. And if I were there, I'd probably vote for him. But, you know, for state rep, well, I'm thinking majorities, this, that, the other thing. Um, Yeah. I served with that member. He was a great member. And he gave a very good farewell speech where he really talked about the same stuff we're talking about right now. And I I miss him. I think he was an asset to the... To the general. Yeah, he's still doing good things. And even in my town in Bridgeport, he wrote a nice letter. So, um, but all things considered, uh, it is the podcast is called You Should Run. And it's 2021, an odd year, not an off year. And uh, I mean, I'm up for election this year, though, don't have an opponent. So it's not much of an election. Um, Why should people consider running for office? And like, where should they start right now? Do you? You'd be encouraging people, but like if someone's listening and they're like, it sounds overwhelming, there's too much work, I'm not represented, I might be in the minority, where should someone start if they're thinking about the future? So that's a great question. And I think people, anyone thinking about running, um, you should do it because you're going to make a difference in your community. And being an elected official is the one job I've ever had where I feel every day like I can set out to help someone Mm -hmm. and I can, even if I'm in the minority, 
Constituent services are a great way to help people in your community, get them connected to resources, help them solve problems. Um, if you like to solve problems, this is a great job. If you want to start, there's a couple things I did to start. And uh, one of them was reaching out to run for something, which focuses on recruiting people under the age of 35 to run for down ballot races. And they offer so much support. They offer um, networking, trainings on all the different elements of campaigning. I also reached out to my local party, like not my county party, but the local municipalities all have an, a political party. And I wanted to meet people there and hear from committee people and, and learn about campaigning. And I also reached out to people who I knew were elected officials who may be willing to talk to me and share advice. Elected officials love to talk. I've learned that, yes. <laughs> um, so reach out to them. They'd be happy to share advice. And there's other organizations that want to help train. Um, a lot of them tend to focus right now on women, groups like Emerge Pennsylvania or She Should Run mm -hmm. are two that I'm thinking of. But Run for Something can even open that door for you to other organizations that can help train uh, young people and people who aren't nuanced in the political world. But you don't have to be. When I ran for office, I was not a committee person. I had never held a position in a local Democratic committee thing. I was a voter, and I talked about politics a lot, but that was the extent of my involvement. Running for office and running campaigns is really like starting a small business and mm -hmm. then taking it down. But starting a small business, um, being good at math, and being good at marketing. So if you have any of those skills, you already have skills that are going to help you as you run a campaign. And you become a lot more polished at all those things by the end because – yeah, I know from even my and first campaign how much I learned. It's a win situation, right? So, like, when I was running for office, I worked at the University of Pennsylvania. I loved my job. I helped support fundraisers to raise money to help kids who are needing scholarships and undergraduate financial aid, and other great programs at the University of Pennsylvania. I'm a I'm a Penn alum too, so I'm probably a little biased, but I loved working in higher ed. And I knew that if I ran a really successful campaign where I was successful at marketing and at fundraising and at executing um, being a manager and running a staff, I would open up job possibilities in that career if I stayed in that career. And it was true. If I didn't get elected, I had my pick of jobs at Penn. And people who didn't pay attention to me before or who weren't interested in hiring me were now. And so running for office can really help elevate your professional career. Even if you don't win, there's always a positive when you try and figure out if it's worth it to run a campaign. And this is true of running for offices of any level, mm -hmm. not just state representative, because you have to run a legitimate campaign if you run for any elected position. So I really think that it's always worth it. And there's always going to be a win-win scenario, even if that doesn't include winning the election. Yeah. And one thing I've noticed, and I, I really hate when people talk about that, politics almost government should almost be a volunteer activity that well you should just do it nothing wrong with the goodness of your heart but people need to have a, a real human incentive to be in it because otherwise there's too much of a cost to do it and yeah it's harder in a lot of other states in pa actually and so it's good that you get something for yourself beyond just the election yeah if we didn't then only the wealthy would be right. able to uh, positions in elected office. And I am a one income income household. My husband is a disabled veteran. He works part part time. And he does get a pension from the 
the VA, but it's not enough to, to be sustainable for our family. So if I was not running for an office that was a paid position, I wouldn't have been able to afford the idea of running for office because my job is also full time. I can't have a right. second job. I mean, many legislators do have second jobs and I have thoughts about that, but I believed if I got elected, this was going to be the only job I focused on. And that would be the way I'm really fulfilling my oath to my constituents. So I needed to make sure this was a thing that was also sustainable for my family. Well, even though I am very, very many miles away from you, like two miles away from your district, um, your, your work is well noticed by a lot of people. And I know that you're working hard. I appreciate that you took time to talk today and, and share your experience before we leave. Cause I did mention this about Marvel. There are a bunch of, there are three shows that came out this year. Which one was your favorite of the three or do you have a ranking? Oh, it's a hard question to answer. I think I would rank it Loki, WandaVision, and then uh, Captain America. Or, I'm sorry, the Falcon and Winter Soldier. And that's only because Loki has always held a special plate in my heart, or a special place in my heart. I think I've really always wanted it to be a redemption story. But WandaVision was also so, so good that it's a really close second. But I do keep saying Marvel is the gift that keeps on giving because now... I didn't think I'd be excited for phase four after seeing the Avengers end and you know, how I, how much I love those movies, but now I cannot wait for the next movies to come and spoiler alert for Loki season two. Yeah. I'm very excited for all of the multiverse and time stuff. I would have had it Wanda and then Loki and then Falcon and winter soldier. But you know, like you said, pretty close. Um, I do really like the screen crush YouTube videos where they go into all the Easter eggs and stuff. So Oh, yes. Me too. I've been reading all of them. And one of my favorite uh, theories right now is, so, again, if you have not watched all of WandaVision or Loki, stop listening right now. But if you have, you know that at the end of Loki, we see the timeline split. Mm -hmm. And if you saw the end scene in WandaVision, you know that she's reading the Darkhold, and then suddenly she hears her boys, her twin boys voices their theory is that that is the moment when the timeline split and that's why she's suddenly able to hear her sons because they may be in another timeline and i was just like oh wow mind blown that's so um awesome that that could be the truth so now to be honest with you i'm probably going to go back and watch wandavision and loki one more time um and i did watch black widow recently too it's also very good i liked it a lot yeah the end scene was great, and that helped advance the plot, but it was a little sad because you know the outcome of the character already, but it was still really worth it, and if anyone hasn't seen it yet, definitely check it out. Well, the end scene in that and in Falcon Winter Soldier makes me excited for the possibility of Thunderbolts and Dark Avengers, and then there's the Young Avengers. There are so many things that might happen, and they and all might happen, so who knows? The actors they're bringing into it, like, all of a sudden, Seinfeld meets... The Avengers and Marvel, because Julia Louis-Dreyfus is in, and she's one of my favorite actresses. Yeah. So, And Owen Wilson was great, and Judge Renslayer was the character from The Morning Show. Like All of a sudden, so many great actors and actresses are joining Marvel, and I'm really excited about that, Yeah, it's some, I'm glad I got some new... In all ways. <laughs> yes. Well, that brings us to the end game of this podcast. So uh, <laughs> if people want to follow you and learn more on social media, what's the best way that they can follow you and uh, maybe be in touch and be inspired by your work? Sure. So on my official side, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at RepoMara on all three 
um, platforms. On my political side, which you keep the world separate, you can also look me up by searching Jennifer O'Mara, and you'll find my Facebook page. You'll find me on Twitter, Jen O'Mara 4PA, and on Instagram, it's just Jen O'Mara. So um, reach out to me. I'm very active on all of my social media accounts, and I check all the messages. So that's probably the easiest way to find me. And you can also visit my, um, excuse me, my website for my legislative work is repomara.com and for political work it's voteomara.com great well i hope everyone that's listening will do that follow jen especially if you're younger especially if you know a woman that needs to run for office because we need more voices that aren't currently represented fully in our political atmosphere thanks jen and if you're listening maybe not maybe definitely you should run for office too yes i agree thank you so much for having me tony